Hi, welcome to episode 560 of the Fantastic Forecast. I'm Dave Elliott, and I canceled my AAA membership, like, ten years ago. And they keep sending me letters every week begging me to come back. Take a hint, AAA. I'm just not that into you. In every episode of the Fantastic Forecast, I'll be talking about a different issue of the Fantastic Four, starting with issue 1 and going all the way to issue 645. Today is Fantastic Four 560 from November 2008. Death of the Invisible Woman, Part 3. Future Shock by Mark Millar and Brian Hitch. So the story begins in the future, in the year 2509. New York City, not looking too good. All the old buildings like the Empire State Building are tattered and barely standing up. There are some futuristic buildings around here and there. And as always in the future, all the futuristic buildings look like they were designed by the same architect who does not like windows. I would say about 60% of each building, no windows. A person is speaking. And he or she says that the Earth did not die in the early 21st century, which is good news for us, because the Earth was saved by Reed Richards. That's bad news for us, because Reed Richards isn't a real person. It's too bad we don't have a real-world version of Reed Richards. Like, who's the closest thing? Mark Zuckerberg? All he ever invented was a website for people to share photos of cats and fake news stories about... Hillary Clinton having child sex slaves in a pizzeria, and Donald Trump having golden shower parties with Russian hookers. In other words, Mark Zuckerberg is the greatest man in the world. So back in the year 2509, 12 million people died from starvation, half the world's cities drowned in the rising oceans, and cancer and other diseases ran rampant. Plus, without new episodes of the Fantastic Forecast, people lost the will to live. The person talking says the world's superheroes helped clean up the best they could. And we see uh, the Hulk and Lightwave, or whatever his name is, uh, helping clean up the mess of the world that's really screwed up. Plus, the person mentions how the rich and powerful disappeared overnight, leaving a lawless mess, and the world fell apart. What the hell? Who wrote this? Mark Millar? Or Ayn Rand? Believe me, if Mark Zuckerberg and Bill Gates and Mark Cuban, and the Koch brothers, and the Trumps, and the Walton family, and all the world's richest people suddenly got up, and they left this world to go find John Galt. I'd hardly think we'd fall apart. So back to this story, we see them stacking up a bunch of dead, naked, emaciated bodies. Which is rather disconcerting. Did Brian Hitch trace Holocaust photos for the scene? Ugh. Florida, 2509, an older Hulk, not the maestro in this reality, is giving a speech to the world's heroes at the time. He has a way to escape this screwed up, messed up world, a giant time machine that will take them back to the past. Eight billion people, all to the past. There's a debate between the Hulk and his team, it's the new defenders, which explains why, they've, why we've never heard of these people before, because they're all from the future. And they don't know if it's ethical to go back in time and take over a world of the past. Future Hulk says they need to send a small group of them back in time to build a bigger time machine to bring all 8 billion people back. They just need enough power to send the small group back in time. And we see that they've nabbed Galactus 
to get that power. Back in 2008, Johnny is pretty surprised to hear this story. How does the Hulk capture Galactus anyway? Let me guess. Lots and lots of hostess Twinkies. When Johnny asks his question, someone points out that there used to be 147 members of the new Defenders before tangling with Galactus. Now, there's just six. The Hulk says that his name is Robert Bruce Banner Jr., the last surviving son of the Hulk. So he's not really the Hulk at all. He introduces the rest of the team, which that should have been done a couple issues ago, shouldn't it? There's Natalie X, the Asian girl who's a telepath. There's her boyfriend, the metal guy, Alex Ultron, the 16.0 version of Ultron, which that number seems kind of low. Shouldn't it be like the 1579th version of Ultron by now? The hooded man is Hulk Jr.'s stepfather, and the other two are Johnny's ex-girlfriend, codenamed, codenamed uh, Psyonix, and her father, Lightwave. So now, they're going to use the, combi the combined power of Doctor Doom, the Human Torch, and Galactus to bring those 8 billion people back in time. Now, why did they choose 2008, of all years, to travel back in time? That's a really odd choice. Just as the world's economy is melting down. Yeah, let's go there. That sounds great. Now, I know why they can't travel to the year 2017. Because the president probably put up a big time wall to keep out immigrants from the future. Psionics tells Johnny he should be happy to die for this. To sacrifice his life to save 8 billion people. Why do they need Johnny anyway? Or Doctor Doom for that matter? They've got Galactus for crying out loud. That would be like buying a complete box set of the Beastmaster Trilogy on Blu-ray. All you really need is the first Beastmaster movie, a perfect movie that will satisfy you in every way. You don't need to watch or own Beastmaster 2, Through the Portal of Time, or Beastmaster 3, The Eye of Braxis. It's just a waste of time. Just like using Johnny and Doctor Doom to power your time machine when you already have Galactus. By the way, why, do they, why don't they just ask Doctor Doom to build them a time machine? I'm sure he could do it cheaper and with more energy efficiency than this big lumbering beast of a time machine from 2509. Johnny says he's not too crazy about the idea of sacrificing himself, as selfish as that seems. He asks Dr. Doom how he feels, and Doom replies that every single person involved in his kidnapping will die by his hand tonight. Ooh, scary. That would be kind of cool if the story did end with Dr. Doom killing everybody. Johnny says, you hear that, Hulky? As soon as he gets out of here, Dr. Doom's gonna make a little house call. Hulk Jr. replies that he's not the leader, he's only second in command. Johnny didn't say anything about Hulk being the leader. So that begs the question, who is in command? And knowing that the story is called The Death of the Invisible Woman, the leader must be a very old, invisible woman, I would assume. We'll see. Back in New York, Reed and Ben are investigating the scene of Johnny's wrecked car and wondering where Johnny went. They look at all the damage in the area, and Reed says the police told him that the fight with Johnny and whoever attacked him lasted only one and a half minutes. That's not such a short amount of time. There's a lot of things I can do in one and a half minutes. Of course, most of those things I cannot mention in a public forum. A cop says that at least it's only property damage, no injuries. Really? Even after all that destruction, nobody got hurt? That's hard to believe. Meanwhile, in the Washington Heights neighborhood, the school teacher, Deb, that's kind of been dating Ben, she's out on the street chatting on her phone when her ex-boyfriend shows up 
starts hassling her, saying that he doesn't like being dumped in favor of the thing. She runs into her apartment, he tries to chase after her, but she closes the door. Okay, finally, the reason why she's dating the thing. To have someone protect her from her scary ex-boyfriend. Back in the ba back of the Baxter building, Reed is working in his lab, or one of his many labs, the labs never look the same, and Tabitha, the nanny, and she comes in, telling Reed that Franklin has been asking where Johnny is. He says that Sue will tell the kids later when she puts them to bed. Right now, Reed is working on this tracer, a thing he can inject into the members of the team to track them no matter where they are. Which, I thought he did something like that before. That sounds so familiar. I remember thinking how creepy it was that Johnny would allow his brother-in-law to track his every movement and listen in whenever he wants to. Did I just make that up? Or has Mark Millar failed to read all the previous issues? Huh. I think that's obvious. Tabitha laughs. Reed asks why. She says, it's because of Reed. Don't ever change, she says. As suddenly, a big machine crashes down on Reed and lands on top of him. All while Tabitha calmly drinks her tea or coffee. I don't know. Damn you, Marvel! We need some captions here. I don't know what she's drinking. She calls up the computer, telling it to seal off Franklin's room and establish an audio link. She tells Franklin to ignore all the loud noises. It's nothing, only a test. A security drill. Franklin uses this opportunity, while alone, to pull up the most violent movie they have in the database. You know, when I was that age, and my parents weren't around, and I was looking for movies that I normally wouldn't be allowed to watch. Violence wasn't what I was looking for. But then again, Franklin has been to hell. I bet he grows up with some really sick and demented sexual preferences. Tabitha finds Ben and the She-Hulk out in the hall, who has offered to help find Johnny. Suddenly, she attacks Ben and the She-Hulk with her powers, whatever her powers are, and they get knocked out of the building and they crash down onto the ground below, knocking them out. Which... I don't think a fall from that height would knock out the thing. But oh well. Sue comes in, carrying Valeria, saying that they're under attack. Tabitha orders Sue to put down the kid. Sue tries to attack Tabitha with a force field, but Tabitha fights back with a force field of her own. At this point, it becomes apparent who Tabitha is. She's the Sue Richards from the future. And I'm guessing she's not going to survive this story, just a hunch. But old Sue, Tabitha, is successful, and she knocks out young Sue. And Tapitha starts to carry out her part of the plan to bring all the people from the future back to the past. And she tells Valeria, The people of the world should have been more careful about the future they left us. Old Sue takes off with the part, of the, uh, the part that she needs for the time machine and tells Valeria to tell her dad not to look for her because her secret base is invisible. They wouldn't be able to find it. Unless he cooks up a special invisible secret base finding machine, which I would not put past him. Valeria yells out at the old Sue, saying, Mom, please think about what you're doing. Old Sue replies that she's had 500 years to think about it. And how the hell did Sue live so long? Maybe we'll find out next issue, because that is the end of this one. If you have any questions about the Fantastic Four, about this podcast, or if you need relationship advice, you can email me at podcastff at gmail.com. Follow me on Twitter, Dave Elliott at PodcastFF, or you can download other episodes of iTunes or find them all at www.podcastff.podbean.com. So long, kids. This podcast is over. They say I need some rogue to put in my head.